Hello and welcome back to the conclusion of the matter. I'm Ren Ferguson and joined with me as always is uh, Robbie Santiago and Ryan Weaver. We're so glad that you guys have tuned in uh, to listen here today. Uh, we certainly hope that this episode will be encouraging to you and building your faith. Uh, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14, Let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or evil. And so, of course, as we do in all episodes, trying to explore these various topics and passages or what have you uh, to determine what is true, what is right, and what God would have us to do. And so I'll send it over to Robbie, and he can tell you more about what, we're, what we'll be talking about today. Thanks, Ren. Uh, today's topic is a question that we had submitted from some of our listeners. Uh, again, we just always want to answer those questions and deal with the topics that our listeners want to listen to. But today we're going to be looking at the inspiration and the process for which we got the Bible. Uh, and inspiration is generally the first thing that has to happen within that process. We'll be looking at each of the processes and giving some information about that. Um, but we've kind of thrown over the last uh, maybe three or four episodes, every once in a while we'll mention the word inspiration. Uh, that just means that someone, that it is God-breathed, um, that God is inspiring or God is giving a particular person the words to say and or the words to write down. And generally that's referring to different prophets and apostles throughout the Bible um, and especially the New Testament writers. Um, so uh, something that we'll probably be looking at more in detail here over the next few minutes is that there are some uh, books that were not included in the Bible or different writings that were not included in the Bible. Uh, and the short answer for why they were not in included in the Bible is that they were not inspired by God, that maybe they were people who at one point or another had miraculous ability, but the things that they wrote, um, maybe they were not inspired for a particular reason, or it could be something that contradicted other inspired sources. Um, but in short, people like Paul and uh, in the Old Testament, David or Moses, all of the writers, Old and New Testament, they were inspired by God. They weren't just simply thinking their own thoughts out loud or putting their own ideas right. on paper. It was literally God that was doing the inspiration behind them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of your writers will directly mention God, too. For example, like Jeremiah, I think there's like a few hundred, like 500 references that God had inspired him. Then it'll say things like, the word of the Lord came to me saying, thus saith the Lord. Right. You know, phrases that you see sprinkled throughout the Bible um, but those, even though they're not directly mentioning, coming out and saying, hey, God inspired me to do this, it's pretty much saying it uh, in that way. But right. the inspiration process, it has to be somebody whose writing is inspired to be included in God's inspired word. Right, right. right. And I think where you're starting there is obviously the Most foundational mm -hmm. place to start is the inspiration of the Scriptures. If we're talking about how we got the Bible— that's really the first step, is God inspired these men. And as you pointed out, there's claims both in the Old and then in the New Testament of inspiration. You mentioned the phrase, thus that the Lord. Uh, I read earlier today, if, the phrase, thus that the Lord, of course, is the, in the King James Version. But I read today that there are 3,880 of those phrases, I think just within the prophets. Maybe that's the entirety of the Old Testament. But either way, there's that overwhelming claim of 
this didn't come from me. This came from God. And we see that idea. You, you gave that definition of inspiration, uh, that it's breathed out by God. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, where Tim, or Paul says that all Scripture is given by inspiration or is breathed out by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped unto every good work. And I think a lot of times when we look at that, we think of Scriptures as in, the New Testament, which that certainly applies to the New Testament, but also you think mm-hmm. about Paul writing that in the first century, probably more so what was in view is the Old Testament scriptures that they already had. Right. Uh, and you've already pointed out Second Peter chapter 1, 20 and 21, that those men spake as they were moved about by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't their own interpretation, their own thought, uh, anything like that. Well, even the Second Timothy 3.16 all scripture is given by inspiration right. of God. You know, that's what separates, you know, what's in the Bible, scripture, versus some of these other uh, sources that they may have been apostles or disciples at one point, but the things that they wrote was not accepted as scripture by the church at the yeah. time. Ryan? Sorry. I was just going to add, I think Ren, Ren kind of alluded to it there where we refer to the New Testament as scriptures, but Yes, Paul referred several times to the Old Testament as Scripture, but he also referred to at least two occurrences that I can think of. One was in 2 Timothy, where he's quoting from Luke, um, Mm -hmm. laborers worthy of his wage. Yeah, 1 Timothy 5, 18. um, Which is taken from the Gospel of Luke, but then in 2 Peter chapter 3, where he refers to our brother Paul's writings as As, Scripture. Mm -hmm. So that tells us that, okay, so I can take the fact that Peter says Paul's writings, which would be, thir- I believe it's 13 or 14 if you believe he wrote Hebrews, but yeah. I'm not saying he did because I don't know. But anyway, so we can honestly say that the Apostle Peter considered them Scripture, so we should consider them Scripture as well. Right, right. And even Paul, again, quoting Luke and various other like gospel accounts as well as Old Testament Scriptures too. I think Paul's like a—and Peter too— quoting Old Testament Scripture yeah. as well as New Testament Scripture mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, right. Okay. Anything else that you guys had on inspiration? Nothing that we have to go into right okay, now. Yeah, yeah, we'll probably a, cover it later. There's anyway. obviously a great I mean, we, great we have deal. an episode um, in Season 1 is the Bible from God, so go listen to that. We oh, cover yeah. a lot more yeah. of the inspiration yeah. there so and the proofs. But Right, exactly. Okay, well, um, the next... The next bit, which we kind of touched on slightly here over the last few minutes, minutes is the canonization. And the word canon is generally kind of translated to mean what is the standard uh, at which the Bible was uh, compiled? What standard or what measurement, if you will, uh, what qualifications did these particular writings have to meet in order to be accepted as Scripture? And, of course, inspiration would be at the top of that list. Right. But what were some other things that you guys had on what the criteria was or what went into the books that we Well, I think we the Old Testament, you can <laughs> – I got um, – if you guys really want an in-depth um, discussion or um, – learn a lot about this there's a great video series done by uh, danny petrillo from bear valley that world video bible school covers i mean it's, i think it's several hours but he does it in 30 minute increments but um anyway what i was saying the old testament i think as he pointed out we can read why why 
Judaism accepted those books because it tells us who the author is, and they always said, as you alluded to, where they got their information from. So we know, number one, who wrote it, and who who wrote it, but who delivered it, and and what the application was. Mm So we didn't have to... I know people are like, well, who added it? Well, God added it because he told so-and-so to write it. So from the Old Testament standpoint, I think we have the proof there of why it's included. Yeah. Well, and that's another thing because we talked about inspiration, but uh, one of the other criteria of whenever they were, I guess, compiling, and I guess that is more so particular to the New Testament, but it also did factor into the Old Testament as well. Did they claim even to be inspired? Because that kind of goes into some of the apocryphal Apocryphal, books as well. Some of them never claim to be inspired. There are some passages in Maccabees, in the first book of Maccabees, where it is considered that maybe he's saying that he isn't inspired. Uh, And so that claim of inspiration is, is another point. But like you mentioned, knowing who it was, especially with the New Testament, was it written by one of the apostles or was it written by one of the people that was there with the apostles? Right. Or was it written by somebody 150 years later who had no real yeah. connection back to Christ or to the apostles themselves? Right. And even like in the Old Testament, take Moses, for example. The things that Moses said, everybody, you know, there wasn't like a council that's like, yeah, maybe this is legit or anything. Right. This is yeah. something that like, you know, when Moses spoke, everybody knew based on, you know, everything that had happened with the Israelites, but as well as like the Red Sea, all of these different things, like they could tell that Moses was somebody from God and they took like the things that he said when he said that he was speaking on God's authority, that is exactly right. what he was speaking on. And so whether it's him or later in the Old Testament, David, your prophets, Jeremiah, mm-hmm. Isaiah, all of these folks, they would have they would have no doubt there would have been consensus and proof that they were men from God that they were inspired and the things that they would have said um, and written would have been from God as well. And that would have had to have been the criteria. This wasn't something that even some just a random Israelite had, had said or anything. This is somebody that right. had done miracles right. at different well, points. And you, what you brought up right there at the end, the miracles kind of goes, because this discussion does kind of morph into that podcast that you mentioned a little bit ago, Ryan, about how do we know that the Bible is from God. If we look at these writings, especially in the Old Testament, a lot of the prophetic writings, even even God gave the children of Israel this rule of thumb. You can tell if someone was a prophet of God, if, if what they prophesied, true. if it came yeah. to pass. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at these prophets and we see what they prophesied, and everything that they prophesied came to pass, so okay, he had to have been from God, so we need to include this in the Scriptures. And like you're mentioning, they would have been able to know that and see that. The Israelites would have had all of that information far more than you and I would have Mm -hmm. today. And I think it's important whether you're talking about prophecies or miracles, like think of the purpose that it was. It was so that somebody would be able to determine if they were from God or if they were just, you know, some bozo. Yeah. And so, uh, and another important, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) Uh, more of my vocabulary coming out (laughs) from, from different sources. But anyway, the New Testament also, it's important, like Paul, Peter, uh, the gospel accounts, even Jesus directly, quoted several of these Old Testament sources as well. So especially if it's Jesus, the one that's saying that it's Scripture and he's quoting them, then that's definitely, you know, going to apply to being 
an appropriate measurement and, of being in Scripture. And I agree because I was just pulled up Luke twenty four twenty seven, where Jesus says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. So mm-hmm. he's talking the yeah. gamut there of what it included. And um, we can look at what they had in the... I'm calling it the Old Testament. What they had in their collection of yeah. books is, and I think we'll get into this maybe more in the next episode, or we might get into it here, but while the numbers are different, it's the exact same books that we have today. Yeah, right. And it's, we, I mean, it matches. And if Jesus is, and Jesus used a translation himself, you know, his quote from right. the, the Septuagint, which um, was just a Greek translation from Hebrew. Mm-hmm. So there was a mm-hmm. translation that he used which tells me that he supported translations, which is something I wanted to mention early on, and I forgot, is the one thing I wanted to call out is we don't have the originals anymore. Right. We don't, we don't have that. And I think that gets into the, the, the process that we're going to discuss here is because at some point those became unusable, unusable, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) and they would need to make copies. And then they started doing that to make sure that it stayed pristine and accurate. Right. So I I just think the Old Testament, in my opinion, the Old Testament, the New Testament's a shut case too, but the Old Testament is just... It's been shut for a long time. Yeah, I don't see how you Which the New Testament has, but it's also been like 4,000 years that the Old Testament's been shut. So anyway... Right. Well, I think that's an important point. Um, And even when you're talking about the New Testament, but especially the Old Testament, they're copies because, I mean, all that stuff was written on different materials like, you know, stone, papyrus, Mm -hmm. um, different things. Probably one of my favorite one is the Dead Sea Scrolls. um, And I believe that this is accurate, the story that I'm about to tell, but you can fact check me on this part. But I think that the the way that they found the Dead Sea Scrolls was there is this kid that was trying to find his like sheep or his goat or something. And where that is, there's like a lot of like caves and things built in the limestone and into the sand. And so he's basically like throwing a rock to see if it would like bounce and mm-hmm. uh, and he would hear like his sheep or his goat or whatever it was go like, and he would know that it's in there. Um, and then he heard like glass shatter. And, or some kind of shattering noise, and that's how they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And yeah. I think they offered them, like, it was like 50 bucks or something for, you know, <laughs> the whole com- compiled Bible minus, like, a f- couple of books yeah. or something. But um, I believe the Dead Sea Scrolls, the only uh, book that's not referenced is Esther. Um, and and that Song co- of Solomon. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, it's just, like, a couple books. And generally speaking, like, a lot of the manuscripts that they have, there's pretty well consensus as to you know, what we've accumulated generally matches almost like book for book. And in the New Testament, you know, Paul's not around anymore. Luke's not around anymore. Matthew's not around anymore. But we also have those like manuscript copies too. And it was something where, you know, when Paul wrote a letter, you know, those like those, that was counted as scripture. And then um, it was even in some cases like commanded for that to be copied and then passed around to the other churches Mm -hmm. and that's how you know there are all these manuscripts of the new testament as well is that they are copies that were accepted as scripture because they were from somebody like paul uh and it was regarded as scripture and then to be you know spread throughout the church for them to be aware of it Uh, again it wasn't just some like random cat that was like hey i got something to say you know it was somebody that was that god was speaking through that the church knew they were speaking through based on the things that he was able to do. Yeah. 
I think what I was going to say, I, we might have alluded to it in the last one we did, but I believe before the Dead Sea Scrolls, the oldest or the most recent version of the New Testament was like 1000 A.D., and when they found that, they dated it prior to, um, I think it was like 200, roughly, or 100. Yeah, the I think, oh, I can't remember the name of the codex. I think it started with an A, but it was, it the until they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, the oldest one was from like the 900s. Yeah. But then when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, the documents that they found dated back 250 B.C. to, to sometime in the first century. So... It basically confirmed that the Old Testament that we have today has been the same for yeah, over 2,000 years. Yeah, that was going to be my years. point was then, then they compared yeah. the ones that were 1,000 years old or from a thou- basically 900 to 1,000 yeah. to those before B.C. and the first century. Right. And I think there might have been a couple of spelling like an I and an E or things right. like that, but 99.9% was just like spot yeah. on, which gave people confidence that if it had been kept accurate all the way to like 900 then why wouldn't i mean then i think we're pretty confident that it was accurate from when moses first wrote it to whenever so and that's and that was extremely important because there have always been a lot of skeptics and there were a lot of skeptics in you know the 1940s whenever they found the dead sea scrolls initially that were saying well how can you know that that's actually what they wrote i mean it's been and i mean that's a that's fair point. a fair point, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's been 2,000 years. How do we know that we actually have what they actually wrote? And I think that's part of the great thing about studying how we got the Bible. And y'all, I mean, I have two books, especially in my office. One is called A General Introduction to the Bible, and another is called The Book God Breathed uh, by Keith Mosier. And both of those books, if you want to learn more than what we're going to be able to get into in this episode. You can look at those two books. Don't read it if you're sleepy because it will <laughs> it will put you to sleep. sleep unless you want to go to sleep. Because that's, that's why I went the video route. So. Yeah, yeah, that's probably good. <laughs> but it's just it, there's just so much information, so much history in how we ended up with the books that we have and how we can know and i think we're going to get more into the reliability of them in the next episode as well but how we can know that that's what god wanted us to have well i think it's an important point what ryan brought up that you know that they matched like hundreds of years apart um um, but I mean, some of them, uh, yeah, over a thousand, but two fifty BC. I mean, yeah, that's just that. If that's not confidence building, then I don't know what would be. Yeah, right, exactly. Well, um, I guess any any other comments on uh, the canonization process that you guys had? Uh, not well. One thing, sure. Uh, because a lot of people will throw out this accusation because looking at the history of it, you read about all these different councils councils and all of this other stuff. And don't get me wrong, I do believe that God, through his providence, used some of those men to bring about what we have today. And we can look more on the providence route as well. But a lot of people throw out the accusation, well, you know that the Council of Nicaea decided what was going to be in your Bible. If anybody ever says that to you, they have said enough so that you know that they don't really know anything about church history. Mm -hmm. Because the Council of Nicaea didn't even discuss 
really the canon at all. What they dealt with was primarily the deity of Christ. In fact, there's a, an atheist. I think it's, it's at Bart Ehrman. I remember listening. Is that is that his last name? Do you know? I'm not Bart certain, but Ehrman? I mean. It's e- something like that. Even like the, broadly, the Council of Nicaea was pretty much just like, well, I mean, it ended up being kind of a Catholic conference, number yeah, one. But number right. two, it was just kind of like laying the foundational beliefs of it. Like they may have like discussed the books of the Bible and stuff right. in it, but it wasn't like that they really made like yeah. a deep ruling right. or, or deep dive into what was Scripture and what was not. Right, exactly. Uh, but even Bart Ehrman, that atheist, I watched a, a clip of one of his lectures where he was like, stop saying that the Council of Nicaea determined what was going to be in the Bible because that is not what happened. And you're, it's just wrong. So... Looking at all of this history, you've probably have heard a hundred times that the Council of Nicaea decided what was going to be in the Bible. If you really look at what the Council of Nicaea discussed, that that's not true. And so we have to do more research, we have to do more studying, looking at scriptures, looking at history uh, to figure out uh, all of those things. But that was just a little tangent, I guess. Right. Well, I think that's like an important point because a lot of a lot of folks will say like, well, it was these men, these conferences that were the ones that decided. And that's when, you know, you can start getting down rabbit holes of, well, politics or certain beliefs influenced what is in the Bible, that it wasn't actually like stuff that was inspired by God. Um, and that couldn't be further from the truth, which the fact of the matter is these councils, whether you think that they're a good thing or, or a bad thing, the bottom line is, if it, as it pertains to how we got the Bible and the Bible's reliability, really, they if they ruled on anything, it was already a consensus. And what I mean by that is, like, the books of the Bible, they had been, for thousands of years, in the Old Testament's case, been copied and confirmed as Scripture. And, you know, if sometime in the 300s that these, like, Council of Catholics got together and is like, yep, these are the books of the Bible, then it's one of those things like, yes, thank you for confirming what we've already known for hundreds if not thousands of years. Yeah. Thank you very much. Well, you you making that point, uh, there, have been, there have been lists found, which this kind of gets into the Apocrypha stuff too, but there have been lists found, lists found that date back early 2nd century, I believe it is, that list the various books that were considered to be authoritative and on those lists in relation to the new testament at least all 27 of the books that we have were on there now obviously there were some extras and that's when you get into the apocrypha and all of that which i'm sure we'll probably look at that but as you're pointing out robbie those things were already considered those books those writings were already considered to be authoritative before any council was held Right. It's like one of those things like if they confirmed that the things that Moses wrote was, in fact, Scripture, or the things that right. David wrote was, in fact, Scripture, or Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, like all of these folks. And it's one of those things like, yes, okay, we've known that for a while now. Thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. um, because these are all like, again, inspired men from God, and they had already like met the canonization process, and everybody knew that they were men from God. Um, so... You know, these are councils of men, but it wasn't something that they excluded certain things because of politics or included other mm-hmm. things because of certain beliefs and threw out some parts of the Bible and kept what they wanted. This was one of the, you know, what's in our Bible today is exactly what God intended for it to be. And like Ryan brought up a few minutes ago, it's it's been copied and it's been passed down for hundreds of years, thousands of years now. Okay. Any other thoughts on... 
Anything up to this point, fellas? No, we can keep going. Okay, well, um, as we know, like the Old Testament for the most part was written in Hebrew or Aramaic, and then the New Testament was written in Greek, which um, I speak none of which, uh, and so it had to eventually have been translated in ways that we would understand it today. And so a lot of your skeptics will argue that the Bible that we read in English or mm-hmm. in you know Spanish, French, whatever language today is different than the Bible that was uh, originally in Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek in the New Testament's case. What would you guys say to those people? I would say in in one sense you're right because it's not the original language so it is different words uh because it's a different language but also if what it says in english is the equivalent of what it said in greek and hebrew then it's not actually any different and ryan already brought this up but christ quoted from the septuagint Mm -hmm. in fact the apostles all quoted from the septuagint and that's a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, which he already mentioned the point. That gives kind of Jesus a stamp of approval. If you have an accurate translation, then you can depend upon it. And you can know that what it says is what the original said. And that's the thing. I mean, that's, I think, one of the great benefits of living in the 21st century is because, like, if we were living back in the 900s or the 1200s or something like this, we would have to just, if we believed at all, we would almost have to blindly trust Take their word what somebody else said. That's why there was so much faith in the Catholic Church then, because, yeah. like, you know, Rome had pretty much been destroyed, and all of the, you know, what we refer to as knowledge had yeah. been destroyed by enemies of Rome, enemies of Greece, and just, like, you know, barbaric groups, mm-hmm. different things. Ryan? I, I just think that, um, I think, I forgot what I was going to say about the English part. I think part of what I was going to say was, why do they trust other documents that are translated mm-hmm. from uh, other languages to, to the English language. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say was, and I think you're going to probably get into it in a minute, Robbie, and if I'm jumping ahead, feel free to tell me, but it's no, the, go ahead. some of the trans, if you look at how seriously they took the reproduction of yeah. the scriptures, I mean, this wasn't just some job that they just flippantly did. I mean, they if they messed up, they literally, I mean, they had people checking, you know, number of letters, number of words, if, if, if what word should be right in the middle yeah. of this chapter or this book, number of occurrences of a name, number of occurrences of a place, and if any of that was wrong, it got burnt because they didn't want, they, they destroyed it. Mm-hmm. They didn't want inerrant copies making it out, you know, and it's like in today's world, I can go find multiple books on my bookshelf where there's different ver like this is edition 12 because they have corrected something or changed it yeah. right and we mm-hmm. the way they copied was was they revered it and they weren't going to they weren't going to let a mistake happen mm-hmm. I, I i think is yeah. is one reason why we can trust it exactly and um during the old testament we've kind of referenced the apocrypha and a few of the non-inspired sources the a lot of these uninspired sources were during that intertestamental mm-hmm. period where there wasn't really you know not there was nothing going on but there wasn't nothing going the prof- on i mean the prophets were gone at that yeah. point yes. and i think yeah. there's old testament scriptures that i know speaking of that video series denny calls out he goes over several of them i don't have them written down but where it talked about the Old Testament in and of itself tells us that the prophets were, were gone. And I think he might have alluded to where Jesus said in, I got this in my notes here, 
um, that from where are my notes? Um, lost my notes. Sorry. It uh, Jesus said that from it was in Luke, I believe. Um, yeah, Luke eleven forty nine. Um, Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, "I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they killed, and some of the some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets." shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary now you may say well Zechariah is in our last book but Zechariah is found in second what we call second chronicles mm-hmm. and if you look at the Hebrew bible chronicles is actually the last, last. bible the last last book in yeah, that collection so Jesus is saying from the first book to the last book is is all the prophets mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think he's closing the door on the prophets as well. So what would these people be writing if they're not prophets? Exactly. You know what I'm right. And, right. And during that time, um, well, there's groups in the New Testament that sometimes we glance over and kind of sometimes we have a negative sense of them just because they were kind of opponents of Jesus. But you have like scribes that came out and they were literally experts in the law because they were the ones that wrote right. it. Yeah. Um, but you had different groups like that, and even the Pharisees. Um, were one of the few groups of you know Jews that remained true to God's word during that intertestamental period, and so you know that was commendable. But what was not commendable is them you know trying to corner Jesus all the time and stuff. Um, but you had this group called the Masoretes that their job was exactly what Ryan was pointing out just a couple of minutes ago about knowing exactly what word, what period. If there was something out of place, they would have known it. You know mm-hmm. it. Put this like in today's perspective, like they would have been complete experts in the law to the degree, like just like if I go in the kitchen and like move some of our Tupperware and put it back in the wrong place, like my wife's gonna know about it. This like the Masoretes would have known if there was a period out of place mm-hmm. in the the process of translating and copying the Bible. Right. Like they were the experts. Yeah. I read earlier today that they had to end uh, the fifth book of Moses, which is Deuteronomy, because as Ryan pointed out, their Old Testament, it had all the same information. It was just divided up differently. The first five books of the Bible were all in one piece of work, if you want to put it that way. Mm-hmm. And I read that they would have to end the book of Deuteronomy on a specific line at a specific spot. And if it didn't, they would have to redo from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Deuteronomy. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, well. And You're here, a quarter of an inch I off. Mean, here, here's a couple of other things. This is from a book by Robert Milligan, Reason and Revelation, where he talks about inspiration, the canonization, and all that. It's probably even more boring than those other books because a lot of this is old English. Oh, so that's it's, rough. Yeah. Um, anyway, he said, a book of the law wanting but one letter or with one letter too much or with an error in a single letter written with anything but ink or written on parchment made of the hide of an unclean animal or on parchment not properly prepared for that use or prepared by anyone but an Israelite or on skins of parchment tied together by unclean strings shall be holden to be corrupt. So even if the strings used as part of that or the parchment was from an unclean animal, they considered it not worthy. So this is not just, oh, just give me a piece of whatever and I'll write it down. Yeah. So that it speaks to the standard to at which they, yeah, you know, exactly. the seriousness that they took right. their job too. Yep. And, you know, how we can 
for sure say that this is 100% God's word, but just because of that alone, like that if it didn't meet certain criteria or they weren't 100% certain that it was one of the, the, you know, one of the scriptures, then they would have said no, they would have burned it or, you know, excluded it. So again, this wasn't like a political move or just something, well, we kind of disagree with this part of the Bible, so we're just going to leave this out. You know, this is something that it was recognized as scripture. It was clearly inspired and then it was written down and the attention to detail that these groups had in copying the Bible and eventually when it became distributed um, is is really phenomenal when you get down and do the studying for it. Okay, any other comments that you guys had? Uh, not on that no. particularly. Okay, well, um, the another thing that I was going to bring up, and we may get on to this in the next one just a little bit too, uh, Ryan kind of made me think of this a few minutes ago, but when you when you think about like how many copies there are of different parts mm. of the Bible compared to different sources, I think we even brought this up in, in the other podcast, yeah, but there's like most of the time thousands of different copies of the Old and the New Testament. Mm. And when you compare it to other sources, like Ren, I think you brought up like Homer's Iliad or the Odyssey or, yeah, or something got, like that. I've got that, that type of stuff in my notes for the next episode too. If you want me to bring it up now, yeah. I can. I'd just say stay tuned. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> stay um, tuned. <laughs> Yeah, I guess um, we'll do, we'll do a little tease. So in our next episode, <laughs> we will be covering how we know that the Bible is from God, and we'll be getting into a little bit about manuscripts and much more. Uh, if you guys have uh, any questions uh, or topics just like this one, well, Ryan and Ren and I really love to uh, to dive into the topics and the questions that you guys have. You can email those to us at the conclusion of the matter at yahoo.com. See us in person, text us, or... Before we close, sure. I mentioned mentioned something very briefly, because as we've been talking about this, we've been dealing a lot with history. We've been going into all that. All of that is wonderful. All of that is good to study. But whenever we think about how we got the Bible and how we know that the 66 books that we have are the 66 books that God intended for us to have, the thing that I always go back to is, and this might be circular reasoning, but... Uh, if God can resurrect Jesus from the dead, and I think there's ample evidence of that fact, then he can preserve the scriptures that he wants us to have. And so really, as we're looking at and we're talking about all of this history and various things of that nature, really I think what we're seeing at work through all of that is God's providence. providence. Yeah. Uh, because He, Christ mentioned on a number of occasions in his life that God's word would never fail. Peter wrote about that, First Peter chapter 1. His word would never fade away. So as we're talking about all of this, I think there's also a level of just faith and trust in God that he has kept what he wanted us to have. That was just Mm -hmm. real quick. Yep. Great point to end on. Um, And uh, again, if you liked this one, then you can stay tuned next time for us to dive into this topic a little bit more, but focusing on how we know that the Bible is, in fact, from God. So, of course, that involves faith uh, and God has the power to do whatever he wants, and especially we can take that to have assurance that this Bible is from him. But I guess as we conclude this episode, in terms of if uh, the process of the Bible and the canonization of it, the inspiration of it, the translation, the whole shindig, (laughs) I guess you can consider this the The conclusion conclusion of of the the matter. matter.